Do you know what a TBI is? No, sorry. No. No, I'm not sure. What context? Yes. A what? A TBI. I do not. Did you know that 1.6 million military veterans are being taken care of by family members and friends because they have a TBI? No, I did not know that. No, that's, an out, that, that's a surprising statistic, to be honest. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, it's, it's terrible, I think. It's, it's unfortunate. I really, you know, hope they're getting the best of care. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the TBI Family, a bi-weekly podcast for caregivers of service members and veterans who've experienced traumatic brain injuries. We're producing this podcast in Silver Spring, Maryland, at the headquarters of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, which we call DIFBIC, the Department of Defense's Center of Excellence for Traumatic Brain Injury. Basically, what that means is that we're an organization filled with doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, researchers, and a bunch of other folks conducting state-of-the-science research, delivering the latest in TBI therapies to medical providers, and trying to help service members, veterans, and their families prevent, recognize, and get treatment for traumatic brain injuries. I'm Dr. Samantha Finstad, and I'll be your host for this 10-episode first season of the TBI Family. Throughout this season, we want to provide caregivers with information to help you better manage the effect of your loved one's TBI, including sharing the most up-to-date research on the condition and pointing you to tools to address specific TBI-related signs and symptoms and telling you about other programs available to help caregivers that are offered by the DOD, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and others. We also want to point you to trainings and techniques to help you live your best life. We know caregivers often ignore their own needs due to the demands of their role, but that doesn't help anyone. And more than that, considering the numerous programs that are available to help you, it's not necessary. By the way, while the focus of this podcast will be for TBI caregivers, almost all of these programs we'll talk about are available to caregivers of veterans, no matter the condition. If you know others that can benefit, let them know. Last, but definitely not least, we want to hear from you. The results of two studies were a huge influence on us as we conceived and created this podcast. A study released by the National Alliance for Caregiving and United Health Foundation in 2010, and one released by the Rand Corporation and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation in 2014. One of the things we learned from these studies is that almost three-quarters of you, that's 71%, say others don't understand what you're going through. That must be a very lonely feeling. So during this season we're going to be sharing stories from other caregivers. And we hope that some of you listening right now will choose to honor us with yours. We'll tell you a little bit more about that and how you can be part of this effort at the end of the podcast. At the top of the show, you heard our producer, Terry Welch, speaking to customers at the Metro Stop here in Silver Spring. Now, here's a reminder. Do you know what a TBI is? No, sorry. As you probably noticed... If you say TBI to most people, at best, they'll be a little confused. What's worse is that that stop is literally steps away from the front door of the building that houses the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center. People on our doorstep don't even know what a TBI is. Now, before we go any further, let's go back to the Metro stop for a second and thank our interviewees. Chloe. Jim. Jackie. 
Matthew. Read. Our producer sprung his questions on them without warning, so it's to be expected they might not have been prepared to deal with them. As the caregiver of a service member or veteran with a TBI, you probably know how that feels. We've heard some of your stories of what it's like to find out your husband, wife, child, or friend has been injured and will need help recovering from a concussion, or will need an even greater level of assistance to recover from a moderate or severe TBI, or how to deal with the new normal of their lives. Now, in this first episode, we're going to focus on those first days. We're aiming to help the person who has just gotten the tough news about a TBI. But for those of you who are old hands at this, I guarantee there will be something to learn in this episode as well. So if you've received that call and you've had to wonder what it would mean for your future and the future of your family, this first story is for you. When family members and friends first get the news their loved one has sustained a traumatic brain injury, it's often the first time they've even heard the term TBI. In the hectic days that follow, getting up to speed on the condition can be difficult, if not impossible, as other demands on one's time and the stress of the emerging situation can make it hard to absorb everything a new caregiver might need to know. So the TBI family spoke to two experts in the field of traumatic brain injury and asked them what they think new caregivers should know. First up, Dr. Joel Skolton. I'm the National Director of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation for the Veterans Health Administration. Dr. Skolton said knowing the type of TBI is the first step to understanding what your care recipient is going through. Uh, the first thing to understand is what uh, was the severity of traumatic brain injury. So uh, individuals with mild TBI or concussion are likely going to present much differently than those individuals who have a moderate or severe traumatic brain injury. Um, moderate and severe TBI, uh, our patients with moderate and severe TBIs have usually have very visible uh, injuries or uh, deficits following the, the brain injury. Uh, those with concussion or mild TBI will tend to look normal and act um, and, and function relatively normal, but have complaints about uh, memory, uh, pain, sleep, uh, concentration issues, some of the more kind of mild or uh, non, what we call non-specific symptoms because they can be caused by uh, a variety of different medical conditions. Kathy Helmick, Deputy Director of DivBIC, is a nurse practitioner who's worked on TBI issues for more than a quarter of a century, including treating patients and helping families in intensive care settings. She said she'd tell caregivers to be prepared for both victories and setbacks, especially with moderate to severe TBI. It will be a roller coaster. You'll take two steps forward and one back. You'll take three steps forward and five back. And that that's the nature of brain injury and recovery. Uh, a lot of complications that can occur. Um, a lot of things that we can try to predict and, and provide treatments and, and prepare you for. But no matter all of our best preparations and anticipatory guidance, there's still going to be things that are going to keep, keep, get you off guard. Both Helmick and Skolton recommend that no one entering into caregiving should try to take on the task entirely by themselves. Finding a community of others who've been where you are can be hugely beneficial, according to Helmick. Find folks that, that are also going through similar things, that you can have some shared experience to get support, to seek out resources that will help you facilitate this new role and really trying to take care of yourself and make sure that you don't lose that, that piece of it. And while a community of fellow caregivers is important, 
Skolton said everyone should take advantage of professional help that's available through the VA and DOD as well. A good case manager is worth their weight in gold because they can help uh, not only coordinate all of the medical needs as well as some of the the new social demands that are placed on the individual and the family, but they can also, they're also aware of symptoms that might be evolving. Uh, they're trained to kind of interact with families and start to recognize when there can be um, uh, evidence of increased stress on either the individual or the family and the caregiver. And so they can, by being aware of that, they can also start to intervene and kind of pull the team together to make sure that there's adequate support, not only for that individual, but for the caregiver as well. New caregivers should also be prepared for uneasiness if the severity of a TBI creates some changes in the household. Symptoms of TBI can include everything from impulse control to concentration problems, which can create a need for former household roles to be shifted. This can make both the caregiver and care recipient uncomfortable. There can be a role reversal. So for instance, the individual may have kind of managed the checkbook or managed the finances prior to a head injury, and now they may not have the, the cognitive ability to do so. And so there's these social roles that change within the family, and that can be really challenging for, for caregivers to adjust to that kind of difference in, in functional ability. As Dr. Skolton said, getting educated about TBI is important for caregivers. You can find up-to-date information about the condition on our website, divbic.dico.mil. That's D-V-B-I-C dot D-C-O-E dot M-I-L. For example, DIFBIC offers fact sheets on common conditions of TBI, advice on talking to kids about TBI, and how to deal with common conditions that are related to TBI, such as sleeplessness, headaches, and other conditions. You can also get information at the VA's website, polytrauma.va.gov. Knowing something about traumatic brain injury doesn't necessarily make a person an expert caregiver because caregiving is about so much more than the injury itself. At different times, the role of a caregiver can feel like being a nurse, an accountant, a taxi driver, and much more, all on top of everything else that's involved with being part of a family. Getting good at caring for someone with a TBI can take time, and often, it just doesn't come naturally. Luckily, caregivers don't have to figure it out by themselves. There are courses available to caregivers that are designed to help with everything, from dealing with medical staff to keeping a budget. Terry Welch has a rundown of some of the caregiver training options. In 2007, Congress asked DIVBIC to create a tool to help family caregivers of service members and veterans who'd sustained a traumatic brain injury. A task force was chosen, which included representatives of military medicine, the Veterans Affairs Administration, nonprofit organizations, and caregivers themselves. In 2010, DIVVIC released the Family Caregiver Curriculum, a massive and comprehensive resource designed to provide TBI caregivers with the information they would need to be able to understand TBI, know how they could best help their care recipient, prepare for the stresses and challenges of the caregiver role, 
and navigate services and benefits. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's accurate, some of it's not. Some of it's easy to navigate, some of it's not. Dr. Scott Livingston, DivVic's education director. Uh, we're not discouraging caregivers, family members from using other resources, but if you picked up no other resources about TBI, this would be your primary source of information, um, both you know, basic content, what is a TBI, what to expect, but then also um, all those decisions about finances and housing and travel and, and managing this as a long-term problem. DivVic is now beginning the process of redesigning and rewriting the family caregiver curriculum. The process will be a lengthy one that could take years, but Livingston said caregivers should take the opportunity to give their input on what they'd like to see in the new version, as well as the format they'd prefer it in. That first-hand knowledge of, I've used your product, um, it's great, or I've used your product and um, it's hard for me to lug this uh, thing around, and uh, when it was originally produced, it was promoted, uh, marketed in a backpack type of format. So it all came in a backpack, easy to carry around. And again, caregivers said, you know, great resource, a lot of good information. I don't want to be lugging around a backpack of notebooks trying to run my husband or child to medical appointments. We listened to that feedback, and that's what we're going to incorporate in reviewing both the content and the format and trying to get it in a little bit better user, user-friendly format. But... Family members, caregivers can um, send us their comments directly to info at divbic.org, um, and that feedback comes directly into headquarters staff uh, that we can utilize that input in, in making future revisions to the product. While the family caregiver curriculum was intended to be a one-stop shop for all things for TBI caregivers, it's not the only resource available. For example, According to Nicole Johnson, the National Program Manager for the Veterans Affairs Administration's Caregiver Support Program, the VA has several training programs, including a monthly caregiver education call. The VA National Caregiver Support Line offers a monthly telephone education call for caregivers. And basically, the theme is care for the caregivers. So the focus is that the caregivers are going to learn different topics and themes that will help them better take care of themselves um, so that, obviously, they can be um, a, a part of the caring for the veterans for the long haul. We know that our caregivers oftentimes neglect their own self-care. Um, and so this is a, a strong reminder to caregivers everywhere to pay attention to their needs as well. Um, these calls, the calls help the caregivers recognize their own self-care needs and how to advocate for themselves as well as learning some other programs throughout the VA that help with supporting veterans, um, which, of course, have lent itself to supporting the caregivers. And we hear um, really positive feedback from the caregivers about these courses. The caregiver support line will reach out to caregivers to hear directly from them what their experience is, um, if they want to learn more about a particular topic and really get the feedback on these calls, and it's, it's been positive to date. We also take those live recordings, those live calls, and um, turn them into an audio recording that's on our website, so at VA caregivers, excuse me, caregiver.va.gov. Caregivers all over the world can access these recordings and transcripts. So those that can't participate live on the call can always go to the website and hear them anytime they need that reinforcement. 
The VA also offers a Building Better Caregivers online workshop, a six-week program focused on helping caregivers of veterans from any era, focusing especially on the areas of dementia, memory problems, PTSD, or serious brain injury. The Building Better Caregivers program is really unique in the sense that the caregiver doesn't have to leave their home. They can log on at any point in time um, to participate in the training. It is completely done online, and there's always a skilled professional available to answer any questions or to help triage any perhaps emergency issues or things of that sort. Caregivers have been excited to learn things such as relaxation techniques, breathing techniques, ways to manage difficult behaviors. Uh, it's really improved how caregivers are providing care while validating that they have their own self-care needs. Building Better Caregivers has also um, been one of our programs that has shown so much success that we continued in having a Building Better Caregiver alumni group so that cohorts that go through the training together can continue to support one another outside once they're done with the six-week training to help relieve that feeling of isolation that we know caregivers sometimes feel. The VA also offers in-person caregiver self-care classroom training at VA locations. It focuses on helping caregivers get the tools they need to meet their own needs. The neat thing is that these classes are led by trained facilitators. They're offered in English and Spanish. And for an example of some of the topics, it includes managing stress, problem solving, effective communication, taking care of yourself, and utilizing technology. And the caregivers have found this to be extremely helpful in multiple ways. One, having that in-person classroom training allows them to connect with other caregivers and professionals that are supporting caregivers throughout the VA. Government agencies aren't the only providers of caregiver education, though. PsychArmor is a national nonprofit whose mission is to provide support, education, and resources for non-military people who live with, care for, or work with veterans. PsychArmor is barely two years old, but recently began a rapid expansion of the courses it offers to family caregivers, says Dr. Heidi Kraft, clinical director of PsychArmor. The current caregiver offerings are relatively new. There's new ones being added all the time. So um, the caregiver school has always been there, the family and caregiver school, but it has been expanded and enhanced in very recent weeks and months. Only in the last year or so have the courses evolved to look the way they look now, even less than that. They are animated and the narrator's voice is brought to life in what we believe is a very engaging and interactive way. Kraft said PsychArmor asked caregivers about what courses might best help them and design their programs accordingly. They would like to have information about what their loved ones might be going through. So, And this can run the gamut between sort of symptoms and things to expect at home and the ways that the... Um, that treatment works and the way that sort of all sort of all the different spectrums of information that they might need resources which would then be helping them understand the system kind of how to advocate for their veterans how to communicate with their veterans and with their veterans providers and how to understand the variety the large variety of resources that are out there and available to them 
And then I think kind of this piece of learning to identify as caregivers and find a way to take care of themselves enough to stay um, to stay at their best for caring for their veterans. We know this is the third is a big challenge. According to Kraft, PsychArmor has plans to add courses on legal issues, financial planning, and healthcare advocacy, among others. She said she really hopes caregivers will take advantage of courses that help them care for themselves. As a clinician, I would say that I feel the most passionate about making sure that they understand how to care for themselves and to stay healthy themselves and to get the respite care they need and to allow themselves those breaks and that um, processing of all the emotions they're having and sort of all, all of that piece. That's, that's really important to me to make sure that those kinds of programs are available for our military caregivers. Of course, if you're military caregivers and you need answers quickly, you don't have to wait to take a course to get them. The VA National Caregiver Support Line can answer questions from 8 to 8 Eastern Time. Just call 1-855-260-3274 or visit the VA Caregiver site, caregiver.va.gov. You can also find our Family Caregiver Curriculum on the DivBig website. Again, that's divvic.deco.mil. Before we leave, we wanted to let you hear from one of your fellow caregivers. As we said earlier, caregivers often feel alone in their situation, and they feel like no one understands them. So we asked a caregiver about what it was like when she first learned that she would be a caregiver and what helped her best shoulder that challenge. Emery Popolsky answered in a caregiver call. My name is Emery Popolowski. I am a military caregiver and also Fellows Program Coordinator for the Elizabeth Stoll Foundation. Um, I guess I kind of first became a military caregiver. started off unknowingly in about 2011 when I noticed my husband started having some memory issues and kind of spacing out events where I didn't really know exactly what was going on. I just, to me, it looked odd. Um, you know, I was my husband's probably about 26 at the time, and I was 24, and I just know that a younger male like that should not be, you know, forgetting why he's going to the store, getting lost when he's driving, you know, kind of daily confusion stuff that was going, started to go on. In about 2012, early 2012, February, he ended up being hospitalized, and while he was hospitalized, the term, you know, besides like PTSD, the term brain injury started kind of coming up and some of his doctors suspected that he may have had brain injury from, you know, one of his earlier deployments, which was in 2005 and 2006. And for myself, I didn't even know that you could have issues that long term from getting, you know, small concussions or, you know, any kind of any of the stuff that sort of kind of goes around for the, um, you know, mild brain injuries. So um, after he got out of the hospital, and then he eventually got out of the military, and within you know a couple months span, and we moved back home, he started um, went to the VA, and we lived ten miles outside of Boston. So he went to private, um, a couple of private people here, got a lot more extensive testing done, and it was confirmed that you know he had a brain injury, 
And throughout the time, we also discovered that he was having, um, ep- he's had epileptic seizures and then also having non-epileptic seizures. So there was kind of, we went from, you know, he was perfectly fine, everything was okay within the year, to all these big diagnoses and not really, you know, I was kind of bewildered and not really knowing what was going on and, you know, not sure what to expect. And still was pretty much kind of unsure of the long-term consequences of what was going to happen, um, you know, with my husband and with us as a family, with, you know, we have children. And kind of the game plan that we had set out all of a sudden, you know, our 20-year plan, you know, how we're going to go to work, retire, all that stuff, just kind of went out the window. And that scared me because I'm a huge planner. And I like to know when we're going to do stuff, you know, what we're going to get done. And not being able to know anything and not having control over any of it was the most scariest, you know, factor for me. And not being able to fix the problem. You know, you can't just stop, I guess, the residuals that come from the brain injury. You just can't stop that from happening. But that kind of, I guess, my background is, you know, political science, um, you know, policy and all that work, and that's kind of how I got into work at the foundation and connecting with them. So I started to look into different stuff to help out um, not only my husband, but also I realized that I needed a lot of help to figure out what do you do with some of the kind of the ambiguous loss. Like what do you do when you realize, you know, you're not going to have that life that you thought you had planned out and you realize that, you know, at 25 years old, you're going to be taking care of your spouse long term for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And that means you're going to have to, you know, stop going, you know, put aside different goals. Like I stopped, you know, um, graduate school. You know, you're going to have to, my career goals kind of took a hit for a little bit of not being able to work because the prior main focus was getting Charlie stabilized. So it was kind of a bumpy start and a rough start to the journey. And, you know, we had a lot of friends and family who helped us out, but I guess that's kind of how I became it. And there was no set date for us. It was just slowly evolving over time of, whether or not it be, you know, of learning as a caregiver and learning about the TBI and just kept getting, I felt like it was just a year and a half of just new diagnoses of this is what's going on. Um, I think our situation was different because, you know, Charlie deployed, he had two full deployments to Iraq um, and then he had like a TDY trip. So, but when he came home from all that, you know, he wasn't missing any limbs. He went through all the redeployment and we thought everything was fine. We thought, you know, some people get injured or hurt, they have hard times, but, you know, it didn't affect us, and we were fine and just kind of went on with our life. And we didn't realize that, you know, there was stuff. We just, like they call it the invisible wounds, it's there, but we didn't realize until it started manifesting in other ways. And, you know, there's kind of, you know, a lot of the caregivers, they go through that where you, you know, the injuries slowly reveal themselves over time. And then there's the other caregivers who they have that live date, that one catastrophic day of, you know, the massive injury, and their loved ones usually ship to, like, Germany or somewhere stabilized, and then, you know, they come back home stateside. So we didn't go through that. I didn't go through, um, you know, not I got to welcome Charlie home. I got to watch him, you know, walk off the plane and hold up my sign and stuff, and I didn't go and, you know, see him in a hospital like that. So it was... I feel it was a little bit different um, in that respect because I, you know, I did get to have the homecoming and I had what I thought was, you know, a peaceful and great homecoming and not realizing that there was kind of like a ticking bomb going off inside that, you know, revealed itself much later than when he came home. Um, I think the best advice I can give is that you can't do it alone. 
And we're all kind of, don't be a martyr, don't be like, I'm going to take all this on alone because you can't and you will fail if you try to do it alone. You need caregivers, you know, we need the support. So whether it's reaching out at the VA, asking them for support stuff, finding, um, you know, I found originally my first support was a lot of Facebook groups and connecting with other people across the country online who understood what I was going through because, you know, when we came back home to Boston, I was 25, all my friends were just getting engaged. Nobody had a, you know, spouse. They were... No one, none of my close friends, no matter how great they were, understood what I was dealing with. So you need to definitely reach out and get that community support. Connect with someone who can help you out, who can help you figure out, you know, what do you need to ask for? How do you talk to a doctor to say, this is what I'm seeing in my care recipient? And, you know, it's making me concerned. How do you clearly, you know, communicate with medical professionals? And if you're not able to, then how do you go to patient advocate or talk to the director of, you know, the local hospital to make sure that your needs and your care recipient needs are being met? And a lot of those tools, um, you know, you can go on hiddenheroes.org and find a lot of the vetted resources the foundations put up. But a lot of those tools, too, you learn and you find from having a support system, from having, you know, a couple of trusted people who understand what you're going through and, are um, able to help kind of guide you in the right resource. And also, you know, just being kind of open with someone. And if people say, well, how can I help? Just say, well, yeah, I do need a little bit of help with getting my lawn mowed. You know, <laughs> do you know someone who can help me out with that? Or for me, um, in our journey, when we moved back home, I ended up moving back in with my mother-in-law for a couple of years before we bought a house. And so when I lived with her, that was someone else to help me out. And she also saw what was going on. And it helped ease a little bit of the burden for me and for a while Charlie had lost his license and he was not allowed to drive due to the seizures so that was um, my mother-in-law has helped out with getting the kids to and from school with making you know taking him to a VA appointment if I wasn't able to make it because I was also trying to work and you know stabilize stuff but it's definitely the whole reaching out and build your tribe kind of build your village and get a support system behind you because if you don't have that, you are going to get lost. And, you know, and some a lot of people, they have that or they break down or they're scared to say, like, you know, I, they're scared to get help and it's okay, you need to go and get that to make sure that you are being the best caregiver in person that you can be and in turn it will help out and make stuff with them caring for your care recipient and your veteran a lot better. Thank you for listening and goodbye. If you'd like more information about the Elizabeth Dole Fellows Program, visit elizabethdolefoundation.org. You can also find information on caregiving at their website, hiddenheroes.org, which has links to resources, caregiver stories, and even a forum for chatting with other military and veteran caregivers. And that's the first episode if you have any questions about the podcast or about DivBig products and programs or are interested in telling us your story, please feel free to email us at info at That's I-N-F-O at D-V-B-I-C dot O-R-G. During this season, we'll be discussing other topics we've heard caregivers say are most important and share caregiver stories and experiences caring for family members and friends with a TBI. On the next episode, we'll hear from an expert on dealing with intimacy issues after a TBI. We'll look into an ancient technique for dealing with the stress and burden of being a caregiver that's experiencing a modern-day comeback. The TBI Family is produced and edited by Terry Welsh and is hosted by me, Dr. Samantha Finstead. 
It's a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, commanded by Army Colonel Jeffrey Grammer, and the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, commanded by Navy Captain Mike Colston. Thanks this week to the Defense Health Agency, the Veterans Health Administration, the Veterans Health Administration Caregiver Support Program, and the Psych Armor Institute. And we'd like to give a special shout out to Laurel Roadwald at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and a special thank you to the Bumet Visual Information Office at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. We'll see you in two weeks.